on. It is. Excellent. <clears throat> so a couple weeks ago, uh, my wife with a few other women uh, from Cars, and I think uh, maybe some that weren't from Cars, Cars, uh, Colombian Cars, Jeff City, they went to a conference uh, put on by the Gospel Coalition. The uh, conference is meant to build up women in the gospel and to prepare them for and prepare them and encourage them for their ministries. Um, at one of the talks during the conference, they were discussing the persecuted church. Uh, they had a special guest. Her name was Nastaran Farahani, and she was a woman from Iran who grew up in a Muslim family. At the age of 16, she had an experience that changed her life forever. She heard a voice telling her to repent and that uh, she would be washed away from her sins, of her sins. She wasn't sure exactly what the voice, uh, what was meant by the voice or exactly what was going on. Uh, it was just a strange event that was uh, really supernatural to her. But eventually her sister came from Holland. She was visiting uh, the family and she brought with her a Bible, which in Iran are very scarce. And uh, one day while her sister was visiting with the family, she brought the Bible out and she showed it to the family and she confessed to them, I am a believer in Jesus. Which at that point, Nasran herself said, I, I also believe in Jesus. Um, but now Nasran's vision was connected with the word. So the thing that she heard, a voice from God, was now fully realized in God's word. She was able to read God's word, to know the gospel, um, and it was amazing. What wasn't amazing though, was the situation with her family being Muslims when they heard that her sister was converted to, from Islam to uh, Christianity, they cried, and it only made it doubly worse for them when, her, when Nostron herself confessed that as well on the same day. But one month later, after Nostron confessed her belief in Jesus, her mother converted, and two months later, her father had a vision, and he converted as well. Eventually, Nasteran and her husband would be persecuted for their faith in Jesus. They were interrogated and imprisoned in, by the Iranian government. After some time, though, fortunately, praise God, they were released, her and her husband, and that's, of course, how she was able to present a little snippet of her story at this uh, women's conference. And it's, uh, it's pretty crazy, honestly. It's amazing. And you might think, oh, this is just an isolated story, but it's not isolated. In fact, there's Muslims, there's tons of stories, you know, you just, just Google it, but, but there's tons of stories of people having visions and dreams from God, specifically the Muslim culture, and then God orchestrating it so that when they have these visions and dreams, they're also being brought the Bible by someone somehow, so they're not just having this strange vision and not knowing what's going on, but so that they can see the word and know the true gospel of Jesus Christ. Since the beginning of the fall, God has sovereignly been bringing people to salvation. Whether it's by using visions followed by revelation through the word, or whether it's something as simple as a conversation between friends and some friend telling the gospel to another friend and him wanting to believe. But you know, it's, it's all the same thing, whether it's a simple conversation 
or whether it's God using a vision or a dream. It's all the same because ultimately God is orchestrating the salvation of each person and bringing about the circumstances of each person's salvation. Each person's story of salvation is unique and just as beautiful as the next. So the reason I share an Osteron story, though, is because it shows that God cannot be stopped in his mission to bring all peoples, all nations, all tribes, all tongues into his family. He cannot be stopped. Job 42, 2. Job is confessing this to God. He's saying, I know you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. God can't be thwarted. Nostron and her family were Muslims who lived in a country where Bibles were scarce and Christians were persecuted, enslaved, or not enslaved, but imprisoned and killed. And yet, God was able to move in that family, bring them to the knowledge of Jesus Christ in one of the most anti-Christian governments in the world. And he's been doing that for a long time. He did it in Russia during the time of the Iron Curtain. He's done it in many more countries that we could probably list off, uh, China as well. And he's still doing that today. What does this have to do with our passage, though, today? Our passage is about a mystery. A mystery that has been revealed through Christ's work on the cross. The last verse of our passage today, three, Ephesians 3, 1 through 6, is uh, 3, 6. It's funny because the first five verses are kind of like building up, oh, there's this mystery, there's this mystery. And then Paul's just like, and guess what it is? Here it is. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. And that's the main point of our passage today. It is that God planned from the beginning of time, in eternity past, that he would include the Gentiles in his family. And Nostron is one of those Gentiles. And those of you who are in here who are Gentiles, which is most of us, Gentile is just a word basically for uh, referencing to a person who's not a Jew. Um, that's good news. That's good news that he wants to include us and not just the Jews. Now, that may not seem that amazing to you, that he includes the Gentiles, right? Because we've been, 2,000 years ago is when Christ died on the cross, revealed that he died for the Gentiles, and we've been recipients of this great news ever since then. So we don't really think about it too, uh, too much. In fact, it's funny because most Americans who are Christians in America are, are not Jewish, right? And so we don't really think about that fact that we're Gentiles, we're included. It doesn't really strike us that, as that big of a deal. But if we lived back in Jesus' day 2,000 years ago, it would, have been, it would have made a lot more sense to us how amazing this truth is. As Josh Zajcek so aptly put it uh, in a few of his sermons previously, the Jewish people in Jesus' day did not like the Gentiles for the most part. They looked down upon them, they excluded them, and in many cases they hated them. And one of the Jewish proverbs that uh, Josh also quoted, I'll quote again, it basically talks about it thanking God. It's a, a Jewish prayer. You can look it up. They still say this. You know, thank God that I was not born a Gentile. Thank you, God, that I wasn't born a slave. And thank you, God, I wasn't born a woman. So that tells you a little bit about some of the Jewish culture. They looked down upon them. And the Jewish people were terribly offended by the fact that Paul had the nerve to say to the Jews that the Gentiles were received by God equally as they, that the Gentiles could have equal standing 
before him. The problem with the Jews, specifically the ones who had the attitude I just spoke about, where they looked down upon them, because not all Jews were like that, and not Jews, all Jews are like that today. But the problem with the ones who were, and a lot of them were, is that they didn't understand some key passages that we have in the Bible that they had in the Torah. And that was the mystery. They didn't understand it. So let's take a couple, uh, look at a couple of those verses. First one I want to take a look at is Genesis 12.3. It says, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And this is God talking to Abraham, who lived hundreds of years before Jesus' time. Genesis 18, 18 through 19 also, uh, in reference to Abraham, says this, Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him, for I have chosen him, that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. He promised a blessing. He promised that he would use Abraham to bless all the nations of the world. Now, how do you do that? Why were the Jews so inclined to write down the genealogy of so many people? When you read through Matthew, read genealogies. When you read the Old Testament, there's tons of genealogies. It's, it's following bloodlines of people. Well, Abraham, if you go down the line of genealogy, was the father of David. Eventually, obviously, through some sons, you know, Jacob and then David. And David, through his sons, eventually Joseph and then Joseph, who is his son? No, not by flesh, but he was Jesus. Jesus is the promised blessing, right? Jesus was the promised blessing through Abraham the whole time. And he came hundreds of years after Abraham. And through him, all the nations are blessed. Because everyone has free access to follow God now, to believe in him, and to be reconciled to him through what he, his work on the cross. I want to read Ephesians 2, 11 through 13, backtrack a little bit to some of the chapters we've already gone through, or the previous chapter, I should say. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And this was the mystery Paul was talking about in the first five verses of our passage. Let's read those. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known, to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in the generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. So I want to take a few moments just to point out a few things here. First, we're reminded in our passage today that Paul is writing these letters to the church in Ephesus from prison, right? 
You know, he's been in prison in Caesarea for two years, and now he's in prison in Rome for another couple of years. But notice something. He doesn't say, I'm a prisoner of Rome. He says, I'm a prisoner for Christ. He shows that he understands that he is under Christ's control and his power, and that God has sovereignly placed him where he is at. Have you ever considered what would have happened if Paul wasn't arrested? What if he wasn't arrested? Maybe we wouldn't have a lot of the epistles that we have, the prison epistles for sure. Maybe we wouldn't have those, because maybe he would have been too busy doing other things that he wouldn't have time to, to write these letters for us. God sovereignly put him there in a place to be an influential man and to be a witness for him. So he wasn't a prisoner for Rome, he was a prisoner for Christ. Paul was in prison because of his ministry to the Gentiles, because he was preaching the gospel to them. And even though the Jewish leaders would have him stop, of course, he didn't stop. So eventually he devised a plan and they got him arrested, and that's how he ended, there in the, ended up there in the first place. He's a prisoner for Christ because of his preaching to the Gentiles, because the Jews, the Jews hated that. And also talks about in these first five verses how God is the one who commissioned Paul to go and preach to the Gentiles. God is the one who changed his heart, the heart of Paul, to love these Gentiles, whom he grew up looking down upon them because he was himself uh, a Pharisee. And so he grew up not liking the Gentiles, but God changed him. Paul had this mystery revealed to him that we've been talking about by God. Now, he talks about how he had this revelation, and we're not really sure. Scholars can disagree and talk about it, but we're not really sure if he's referencing when he had this revelation of this mystery, if it's the road to Damascus sort of thing, where he was converted and where his eyes were blinded, and Jesus showed up to him and said, why are you persecuting my church, that sort of deal. Not sure. All we know is that somehow God revealed this mystery to him, opened his eyes to, real, to realize that the Jews uh, or the Gentiles were accepted into God's family as well. But uh, note here that he doesn't take any credit for this realization. He said it was all revealed to him by God. So it's not like he's saying, oh, I searched far and wide with my great wisdom. I've come to know this, this wonderful mystery. Come and sit at my feet because I'm a powerful, wise person. No, in fact, it's funny because he wasn't even looking for this mystery. In fact, he was, he was completely against the mis this mystery that the Gentiles were accepted. He was persecuting them, as we know. He was murdering them. He was hunting them down to arrest them. And then God steps in and says, well, guess what? This, you don't understand this mystery. I'm going to reveal it to you, and you're going to realize that you've been going against me this whole time. So God was orchestrating some really awesome things in order to bless more people and include more people into his kingdom, specifically Gentiles. And that's always been his plan. It was just a mystery until now, until we can see it clearly through Christ's work on the cross, and we can see it clearly through history now, the fact that so many nations who were once Gentiles and separated from God have now been accepted, and there's believers all over the globe who are Gentiles. So back to verse 6, though, of Ephesians 3, 6. This mystery that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. As I said, this is the main point of the sermon today. And also, it's one of the major points of the letter to the Ephesians. He's trying to get across this to his readers, 
that the Gentiles are included in the family of God completely without reservation, not like the stepchild who's left out, nothing like that. Jesus came not only to save Jews, but Gentiles as well. And most of us in here, like I said, are Gentiles, so once again, that should make us happy. Because honestly, he could have left us out. He could have. He could also have left out the Jews, though, right? He could have left us all out. Because we don't really deserve what he's given us. We don't really deserve his salvation from our sins. None of us deserve to be accepted by God. We were enemies and haters of God, so why would God save us? Why would God save not only the Gentiles, but the Jews as well? What's going on here? Well, Romans 5, 8. God chose his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God saved us because of his love? Yeah. Romans 5, 6. For at just the right time, while we were still powerless, Christ... Christ died for the ungodly. So he loved us, saw that we were powerless, and died for us who were ungodly. And back to Ephesians again, 2, 4 through 5. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. So God saved us through his son, Jesus, because of his great love, because of his great mercy and grace. And God includes all peoples who accept his son as Lord and Savior, as sons and daughters. There's no favoritism. No different classes of Christians. We're all equally loved by the Father. Uncommon, though. Pretty uncommon in religions today that we would all be equal in God's eyes, right? Sometimes we think the pastor guy or whoever, the leaders of the church, they're like a different level of Christian the top tier, level four Christian, and just the level two, uh, whatever you want to consider that. But um, <laughs> I think about when I was in Thailand, the, uh, and maybe I referenced this before, but it just it strikes me so interesting because I saw these people basically bowing at the feet of these Buddhist monks, like worshiping them, like they had attained this higher power, and they're like, wow, look at you. You are better than me. You have some mystery, and I want that but I don't, I can't have it because I can't live like you. And that's, uh, that's what other religions do. They say you have to live like this certain way, you have to be this, uh, um, or you have to basically, it's, it's all up to you to search out this power, which that's not how it is in Christianity. God reveals himself, he's merciful, it's all of him, it's none of us. And same thing for Islam. You know, we see that in their culture as well, where they will revere certain men as better than themselves. And it's okay to honor people, and it's okay to look up to people and think that these are godly men, but ultimately, in Christianity, it's not about anything we did. It's not about how great we are. We're all on equal ground, sinners who need grace. That's what the Jews didn't realize. They didn't realize that, they they, they thought they were better than the Gentiles. And in fact, that was a problem in the early church at times, that the Jews would think of themselves better than the Gentiles. They thought, well, we were first God's chosen people, so you're kind of a lower-class citizen in our mind. And this is unprecedented, as I said. This is unlike any other religion. That God, who had every reason to exclude everyone from his eternal kingdom because of our great evil, has decided to include us into his family. How different this is 
from the way the world runs, though, right? God's ways are not the world ways. Because the world we live in rushes to come up with a myriad of reasons to ostracize people. God is inclusive, the world is exclusive. See, it's one thing to disagree with someone, something over, or disagree over something with someone and take a stand for what you believe in. Um, but it's another thing to treat people as trash whenever you have disagreements, which is often what I see. It's rampant in our culture, in the internet. We see that people like to exclude others based on simple disagreements. Go on YouTube and you'll see some of the worst things you've ever seen. Actually, top comment is uh, go kill yourself. One of the top comments I've read through as I go through videos and people are like, eh, just go kill yourself. You don't, you don't agree with me. I think you're a crazy, bigoted lunatic and you need to go kill yourself. That's pretty common. One of the comments I read uh, earlier this morning actually was, um, man, America would be so much better if it was only white people. Yeah, that's exclusive. In fact, I mean, we had the segregation situation, right? And uh, where, where blacks had to go and drink from different water faucets and go to different bathrooms. That's what the world likes to do. They like to draw lines in the sand to separate, to exclude, to, to leave people out, ostracism. But God's not like that. Now, we need, to, we need to know, as I said earlier, there is a place to take a stand. And of course, something should make us angry. And we should be able to voice that opinion, but in a loving manner. You know, what, you know what makes me angry? As it should, I hope, all of us, is murdering babies. Since Roe vs. Wade, millions and millions of babies dead. That makes me angry. But if a woman comes in here who's uh, had an abortion, guess what I'm not going to do? I'm not going to treat that person as a second-class citizen. I'm not going to be disgusted. I'm not going to look down upon that person. I'm going to show love, and I hope you all would do the same. Just because something is wrong and we hate it doesn't mean that we ourselves are pure and good because we all are quite wicked. There's a serious problem, serious, serious problem in our church today. Now, this is, this is kind of a warning. I don't think Cars is like this, honestly. I believe Cars is a place where people can feel included and loved despite their baggage, despite their background. We preach the gospel here, the good news of Jesus, that he changes us, he takes away our sins. Um, but that's not so common these days in the church. But I want it to be here. Just a news flash. The letter we're reading today was written by a murderer. Um, written by a murderer. And we're reading it. That means that if a murderer is included in God's kingdom, who else is going to be included? Who did Jesus hang out with most of the time? It was the religious elite, right? It was the cool people it was the really wealthy guys who had it all together, right? No? Get see some heads shaking? That's, that's right. It wasn't. It was the tax collectors who were hated, the prostitutes, the whatever, the, the blue-collar workers. Now, of course, he did hang out with some of the Pharisee and things, but usually he would, had some words to say. 
But the whole point that I'm trying to get at here is that if our Lord Jesus spends time with these people, and that's who we are, because I'm a screwed up guy. If anyone out there feels like you're not a screwed up person, then you probably shouldn't be here, because this is the place for screwed up people. We need to remind ourselves daily that God has included us in his family despite our sin and our nastiness towards him and how we should do the same for others. If God, when he had nothing in common with us, nothing in common with us, said to us, you'll be my son, my daughter, and he said, you're going to be part of my family even though we're completely opposite, wicked, good, nothing in common. And he said, well, guess what? I have nothing in common with you guys, but you're going to be my family. You're going to be my son and daughter. I'm going to save you. We therefore have no room to exclude anyone from ever visiting, ever coming in, ever being kicked out. You know, you probably heard the stories about like some homeless person wandering to a church and being mistreated or whatever and things like that. And it's not, uh, it's not really a new phenomenon, this thing in the church where people are looked down upon been happening ever since it started. You know, James, book of James, uh, James writes to the churches, uh, guys, you're showing favoritism. A person with fine clothing and jewelry would come in and they'd be treated better than this person's shabby clothes. And James was like, uh-uh, don't do that. We don't want to have any favoritism. And the same thing here. We shouldn't look down upon people. There's no room for it because it's just insane. It's just insane to look down upon anyone or think any less of anyone else because we're so messed up too. We need to look in the mirror first. And you know, it hurts to be excluded. It's painful. We all want to feel included and accepted, whether it's something small, like getting picked last for dodgeball. That, that feels bad, right? You guys have any memories of that? <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. No fun being the last person with that. But even to more serious things, though, like I said earlier, when because of the color of your skin, you have to use a different restroom or you're treated as basically an animal. It's painful in varying degrees, right, being excluded. And as I said before, this, this world is a breeding ground for exclusion. Since the fall of mankind, We've been drawing uh, lines in the sand and classifying people as worthy or unworthy. But God is different, though, as I said earlier. He shows no favoritism. He loves us all the same, those of us who are in Christ. So God sees us in our, our state of mess and decides to be kind to us. So what does all this all mean to, for us, despite the fact that we should be loving people? Uh, well, actually, that's my next point, so I don't know why I said that. What this does mean for us is that uh, Jesus said his disciples would be known for their love, right? And we need to be known for that too. We don't need to be known for our NRA memberships. We don't need to be known because we love the Chiefs or that we drive the cool Mustang or because we eat vegan. We're known as the vegan person. We don't need to be known as the DIY experts or the people who love fishing and hunting or the people who love that television show and we always talk about it. And there's nothing inherently wrong with uh, anything of, of those things I listed. Uh, but those things can become barriers in the sense that 
when they begin to be something where we exclude others, we've got a problem. When we begin to, to be known as the chief's guy who doesn't really like other people who don't like the chiefs, and we exclude others because of that, it's a problem. Or when we begin to be the, the gun-toting guy who doesn't like anyone who's against guns, well, that's a problem if that gets in the way of the gospel, which is the primary thing in our life if we're Christians. It goes a bit like this, guys, a bit like this. You don't really like Stephen because he's always talking about his cool new tattoo and his home brewery he set up, and you think tattoos are lame and that beer's gross. So anytime you see him at the church, you avoid him. Anytime you have a get-together, guess who isn't invited? Stephen. It's not that you hate him. You just think he's weird and you're not into the same stuff. What you don't know, though, is that Stephen doesn't have very many friends ever since he became a Christian because he stopped hanging out with them. Not that he doesn't love them. In fact, he's invited them to church and he wants them to know Jesus as he has come to know Jesus. But they do the same old things and he can't be a part of that life anymore because Christ has changed his life. He doesn't want to go to the places they're going or do the things that he used to do with them. And so he's lost a lot of his friends. Stephen is lonely. He thinks you're a pretty cool person, though, and he would love to hang out. In fact, he even invited you to go shoot some pool sometime, but you turned him down. He wants to learn more about Jesus, and he tries to read his Bible daily, but there's a lot of stuff he doesn't get yet because he's still uh, a new believer. He just wished he had someone in his life to help him understand more. And Stephen, you guys might think that's kind of a cheesy story. Oh, Stephen, make up a story. But Stephen is a real person. This really does happen all the time, changing the name and the details, and this is a common occurrence in churches. People will give excuses. Oh, that person's too young. I can't really hang out with them or get to know them or be part of their life, or that person's too old. That person grew up in a rich family, can't relate. That person grew up in a poor family, can't relate. We don't have the same parenting style, so probably shouldn't hang out with that person. That person is really quiet. Can't be around quiet people. That's awkward. That person is super loud. Oh my goodness. Get that person away from me. That person seems a little rude that one time a long time ago, and I never really want to talk to him again. That person's just way too blunt. Did you hear what he said? He told me the truth. I don't want to hear the truth. Too blunt. That person's a pansy. You know? Never sticks to his guns. That person likes Dungeons and Dragons. What? Can't hang out with that nerd, right? Uh, That's me, guys. Um, (laughs) This is, uh, that's the culture we live in. That's the the, the church too often. But the mystery is too great to continue living a life like that, where we exclude people for silly reasons. Now, I understand, guys, you can't have best friends with everyone. You can't go around, hey, let me know you. I mean, even at this point, at the size of our church, it's becoming hard for me to get to know all you dudes, even though I love you guys. And I would love to get to know you are. It's not like I exclude any of you, but there's a certain point where you can't hang out with everybody. And I, I understand there's not, you don't have the clicks or you don't connect, but still that shouldn't be an excuse for excluding someone. In fact, uh, one of my best friends loves sports and I hate sports. There shouldn't be things like that that exclude us. Uh, but anyway, it's just, so I understand, but don't make that an excuse for excluding others when they need love, 
when they need to be cared for because God included us and we should include others. So this mystery of God's inclusion of us, though we didn't deserve it, we deserve the opposite, should change some things for us. It's a great mystery, right? Great mystery. There's some really lame mysteries out there. <laughs> like how many licks does it take to get to the center of a tizzy roll pop? Not enough to make your tongue bleed. Or there's Victoria's Secret, right? What's her secret? I don't know. She can't afford clothes, maybe. And how do we get into this political fiasco, right? That's a mystery. Those are all pretty lame mysteries compared to this one. And seriously, though, this mystery is something that's not lame. It's been revealed. It's through Christ. It's no longer a mystery. We are accepted. Praise God. We need to begin accepting other people. This mystery today should make us, help us to be more aware of the ostracism that so often takes place in a world, in our world, and it should give us the desire to combat that. I'm going to say that again. This realization of this mystery that we were accepted by God, though we didn't deserve it, should help us to be more aware of the ostracism that takes place in our world so often. Be aware of it and then combat it. We are the light and the salt, right? We go into the world and we show people that we love them and care for them. Doesn't matter what their background is. Doesn't matter what kind of sins they committed. Because we've all done bad things. And that's not the gospel. The gospel is that God saves sinners. And that's what we take to people. We don't take to people, oh, God saves sinners, but you're kind of a messed up dude, so I don't really want to be around you. That's not what that is. Nasturan is an Iranian. The people of Iran descended from the Medes and the Persians. The Medes and the Persians were allied with the Jews' enemies, the Babylonians, thousands of years ago. The Babylonians attacked the Jewish people and enslaved them. Isn't it ironic that God would seek out and pursue Nasturan's family for salvation because her ancestors were enemies of God and his people? Isn't it ironic? But God's not like us. God, who is gracious and merciful, shows himself as a wonderful, glorious Savior who saves his enemies. And that's every one of us. We were all his enemies. Romans 5.10 For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by death of his Son. Much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Outside of Christ, we're all enemies of God. For those of us who believe in the work of Jesus, we have been included in his family, and we can freely love others as Christ loved us. For those who are still outside of Christ, you don't have to be. You can be included, included as well. And just as Nostron heard in that vision, repent, have your sins washed away and you will be his son or daughter forever, included in his family. Let's pray. Uh, Lord God, we here so often forget the amazing mystery that you saved Jew, Gentile, barbarian, Scythian. You saved people from all nations, all tongues, all tribes. 
You've done amazing things, God. Lord, we treat people so badly sometimes. We exclude people for silly reasons just because we don't have anything in common, Lord. But you saved us, though. We had nothing in common with you, God. I just ask that you would please, um, as we leave today, invigorate our hearts with this truth that we might go out and just begin to, to view this world differently, that we might begin to help combat this ostracism, that we might be able to help people to see that they may not be accepted here or there, but they are accepted with us, Lord. They are loved with us. And in that love that they see through us, may they see the gospel of, of Jesus. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So on the uh, night that Jesus was betrayed,